You're listening to the SSPX Podcast, and welcome to episode 49 of the Crisis in the Church series. As we get to the end of this series, we are left with two questions. How does all of this, the events and the problems of the last 48 episodes, get resolved? And second, what can I do about it? Well, we're going to be tackling these two questions out of order over the next two episodes. First, by answering the question, Father, what can I do about the crisis in the church? Is there anything I can do about the crisis? Do I just hunker down in my home and say the rosary? Do I move my family to a traditional Catholic compound and ignore everything that's happening? Or should I take a more active role, speaking out and fighting for the rights of the church? We invited Father David Sherry, the Canadian District Superior for the SSPX, to join us and give us what I think we all need right now, some simple, practical advice for what a layperson should be doing right now in the midst of the crisis in the church. Welcome back to the SSPX podcast and our next to last episode. Is that called penultimate father? I think so. I think so. I think so. I think I'm using that word right. Anyway, our <laughs> penultimate episode. We're so fancy uh, with Father David Cherry, District Superior of Canada. Hello, Father. How are you? Hello, Andrew. I'm very well. Thank you. How are you doing? Very well. And Quebec is getting cold this time of year. It is getting cold this time of year. Yes, it's uh, a relatively mild minus two degrees Celsius today, Ooh. Uh, which is around uh, twenty eight, I think, Fahrenheit. And um, but we did have we did have some some blasts of snow over the weekend, so it's it's getting there. Well, good for you, I think. <laughs> um, well, Father, we wanted to have you on, um, and I'm just going to frame kind of what we're talking about today before we jump in a little bit, Father. Um, Next episode, we are going to be talking with the Superior General, Father Davide Pagliarani, about what is the solution to the crisis in the church. And that's going to be looking more at the broad, what is the solution for the church herself. Um, today, Father, though, before we dig into that broader topic, wanted to ask some simple questions. And it all comes down to what do I do about the crisis in the church? We've been looking at this for 48 previous episodes, we know that there's a crisis. We know that there are problems. We know what the truth is. And I'm kind of left as a layman sitting here going, great, what do I do? Do I change anything? Do I, do I fix, do I help fix it? What do I do? So I guess we'll start there, Father. Where, where do you want to dive in? Yes, I think that uh, this is a very uh, great idea to talk about this because uh, when you say, wow, there's a crisis in the church, it's hard to it's hard for us to take on board what that actually means because the church is the mystical body of Christ. It's one of it's one of three societies directly willed by God. It is the Ark of Salvation. Uh, it is the bark of St. Peter and, and we're saying there's a crisis in the church. We might think, look at uh, let's just give up. Uh, if, if there's a crisis in the church, what can I? as an individual Catholic do. And uh, that, that <laughs> we, could, we could simply say, well, I can't do anything. I'm just, uh, you know, might as well just give up and uh, go and perhaps become a hermit, which would probably be a good reaction, um, <laughs> but it's unlikely to be your vocation. Or I could say, look, at it's, this is proof that the Catholic Church is not the true church. It was all made up and I can might as well just be a pagan and then I'm going to end up in hell. So what should I do? Well, I've thought about this a little bit, and um, I've, I've just got some very simple words of advice um, today, Andrew. And the first thing I would say is I have to stay calm. 
I have to keep my head. And the first thing to help me do that is to say, well, if I'm alive today in 2021 and I'm living in a strange world where it's okay or it's a good thing to kill your baby and it's a it's a fine thing to go off your head with uh, drugs and all of the weird and strange and evil things that are accepted today, if God chose me to be alive at this time, then he is going to give me whatever graces I need in order to keep my head and to keep my soul. So I shouldn't be worried and thinking, oh, if only I were alive back in the Middle Ages where everything was perfect. Well, the answer to that is that God gave the people who were alive in the times of great uh, civilization and great Catholicism all the graces that they need. And God gives us the graces that we need today in this crisis in the church and in the world. And so stay calm. Uh, there's nothing to be worried about. You know uh, that St. Therese of the Child Jesus uh, used to uh, say that she would like to be alive at the time of the Antichrist because then she would be able to suffer so much for Christ and to show her love for God. And uh, God did not give her that grace. And so perhaps you and I have got greater graces than St. Therese of the Child Jesus because we need them. Uh, we're living in we're living in a very very strange time in the church and in the world. So um, I would say to the person who's who's worried, don't be worried. Uh, as our Lord said, do not worry. It is me. God is God is here with us. As the Irish proverb has it, God's help is closer than the door. Uh, it's mm-hmm. never never far away. Our guardian angel has not deserted us. Our blessed lady has given us. Uh, the pieces of advice we need during these times when she appeared in Fatima just over 100 years ago, pray the rosary. Uh, So that would be the first thing I would say. It is stay calm. And the corollary of that is don't be extreme. Uh, Now, what do I mean by that? Because uh, people uh, think, uh, you know, oh, that person goes to Mass uh, on a weekday. That's quite extreme. No, that's not extreme. What I mean by extreme is don't rush into unnecessary things that you think are for the best, but may not be in fact. Let me explain that a little bit. Imagine somebody who's converting to the faith, let's say a pagan, Andrew, who's who's simply uh, found the Catholic faith and uh, found that this is the truth. I want to be a Catholic. I want to be a Christian. And then as soon as he is baptized, he says, I need to be a priest. I need to be a monk. I need to be a hermit. No, you're being extreme, Uh, which is you're not ready for that yet. You need to practice being a Catholic before you can think about going into the more perfect ways. Uh, That's why, for example, the church uh, insists that a person who wants to become a religious has to go through an novitiate. You don't come in on the first day and say, uh, Reverend Superior, I need to be a Franciscan monk. I want to take my vows today. That's very commendable because it shows the uh, depth of your love for God, but it's not wise. And so if you are finding traditional Catholicism, and traditional Catholicism is, as we know, simply Catholicism. It's not, right. uh, it's, it's not anything sort of, it's not a weird branch of Catholicism. It's just Catholicism. You're finding that 
you say, okay, I need to give up my job and we're going back to the land. Now, I, I'm quite in favor of going back to the land. I think that's a very healthy lifestyle. But actually, what you might end up doing is uh, doing more than you are naturally able for right now. So what you should do is not jump into, let's say, unnecessary changes right now or things are which are perhaps in themselves more perfect but maybe not prudent right now rather focus on reforming what is necessary because living in the world in which we do um, chances are we have got some bad habits and perhaps the first thing I should do is say well there are a number of let's say sinful things in my life a number of uh, bad habits first of all I need to get get those uh, in order. And that would be, in a way, a segue into my second piece of advice, Andrew, which is uh, get your own house in order first when you arrive at traditional Catholicism. Um, um, I don't know if you ever heard of, uh, I'm sure you did, of the, um, the great president of Ecuador, um, Garcia Moreno. And there's an anecdote in his life which uh, I, I like a lot. It's when he was visiting Paris and he was uh, engaging in conversation with a number of, of French freethinkers, as, as they were called. Um, and he was getting quite uh, excited trying to show them that Catholicism is the true religion, that this is the true church. And then they listened to him. And of course, in the end, if you can actually have a good argument with a with, let's say, with an atheist, somebody who's actually going to argue with you, then you often end up getting to a point where they can really go no further. And so what they ended up saying to him was, okay, Moreno, if this is the true church, then why don't you live like a real Catholic? And the fact is that he wasn't living at the time like a real Catholic. And he said to them, you've made an unanswerable argument. Give me one day and it will not be an argument anymore. And he went, took himself off. To the, uh, to the nearest uh, church, and he made a good confession, and he began living the Catholic life. Because the Catholic faith is not just a faith, that is what we believe, that is certainly the root of everything else. The faith is the, the necessary thing in order to have everything else, but the Catholic life is a life. That's why our Lord said, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. So if you want to be a traditional Catholic, please know that this does not involve being the most up-to-date and informed person on the latest thing which is being published on various internet sites. Okay? It is always of uh, good use for a Catholic adult to keep himself informed on what's going on in the church and the world, but that is not the Catholic faith. If you were to go to uh, to a, a Carmelite monastery and you were to uh, live there the life of the Carmelites, you would find that they would certainly be fully aware of what's going on in the world, but they're not keeping up on a day-by-day, minute-by-minute, blow-by-blow account of what's happening. The most important thing is that you and I live in the state of grace. And without that, Everything else is really of no good. So uh, true to have the faith and not be in the state of grace is better than not to have the faith. But your faith when you're not in the state of grace is a dead faith. It's not producing any uh, good fruit. 
And it tends to happen that we actually end up being um, zealous in a sort of a bitter way, is that we're, we're trying to argue with our, let's say, non-traditional acquaintances or non-Catholic um, co-workers, and it's really about me winning because I know that this is true. Whereas actually what God wants to use us for is to bring souls to Christ. And in order to do that, we have to adhere in Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches. Unless you abide in me, you will not bear fruit. So the first thing to do is to get our house in order. So stay calm, obviously. Um, not be extreme. And then get my house in order. If I'm not in the state of the grace then I need to make my way to the great place, the greatest place in the world, which is called the confessional. And there I need to tell my sins to God through the person of uh, the priest who acts in the place of Christ. And then I need to retrieve the state of grace. And then I need to make myself a prayer life, um, a life of sacramental grace. And I need to get rid of any near occasions of sin. Because a near occasion of sin is something that's very likely to bring me into mortal sin. If I have these things, let's say bad books, bad movies, all these sorts of things, bad companions, uh, I, need to, uh, I need to cut myself off from these things so that I live a life of grace. Well, so I'm, that's the, I'm those are the to, um, first pieces I would say. I, I was just going to say, I, I didn't hear anything in there about starting a, a blog about traditional Catholicism and starting to make a ton of money off that. You, you must well, have missed that somewhere in there. Yes. Well, as, as you know, Andrew, every self-respecting traditional Catholic has a podcast these days. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, um, no, you're, you're right. It's that uh, sometimes, you know, I suppose there's, there's a sort of a, there's, there's a war of words going on and there's a lot of propaganda uh, being thrown around, let's say, against traditional Catholicism. And then a good impulse is for me to say, hey, look, I can do something to, to avoid uh, or to fight back against this. Right. But actually, the chances of me as a, even as a priest, I would say, or the chances of me as a layman sort of being able to, uh, to sort of... Uh, convert people by means of my words on the internet, I would say is extremely small. Um, in order to do that, I would say you need to be kind of indicated uh, by God that this is this is a particular calling for you. Um, so in, in the case of yourself, for example, Andrew, uh, this is uh, something that the uh, that the superiors in the SSPX asked you to do. So that's a sign that you're not doing this at all for any any personal gain which you make it out of it. And the same thing with, you know, writing a blog or whatever it might be, is I wouldn't do that on my own. I would wait for Providence to show me, hey, look, you need to you need to, to put your talents into defending and vindicating the faith here. Um, so I, I would be very, very careful before I would go down that road. Fair enough. Fair enough. So that's the second thing. Get your own house in order. Uh, what is next for us, Father? Um, now, the next thing I would say is, is that we have to have a proper appreciation of what exactly you do when there is a crisis. So, for example, um, let's imagine that I'm on a ship and 
let's imagine that the uh, the ship gets struck by another ship or by some iceberg or whatever it might be. What do I do? There's a crisis. Okay, well, in fact, what you do is you follow what was previously decided. So normally, if you're taking a, a, a ship, uh, you embark on a, on a journey by ship, there's a sort of a safety protocol. So they will, or when you take a plane, it's the same thing. What do you do if this happens in the plane? And then you, well, when the time comes, you put it into effect. And what is the rule that we should follow when there is a crisis in the church? Because this is not the first crisis that there has ever been in the church. It seems to us like it's the worst, and it may well be. Uh, but the fact is, we haven't experienced the others. We've only, at best, read about them. And uh, But there have been very, very deep crises in the church before. One of which was the Aryan crisis, which I know that we've touched on uh, before in this series. Uh, the Aryan crisis was where most of the church, most of the bishops, uh, went along with the heresy of Arius, who said that Jesus Christ is not God. That was the Arian heresy. And this uh, crisis was nipped in the bud by the Council of Nicaea in the year 325, when it was defined that the Son, Christ, is consubstantial with the Father. But the crisis dragged on for decades afterwards. And St. Vincent of Lyrance in France, he came up with the solution, as in the, the rule of thumb. What do you do when the ship gets struck by an iceberg? What do you do when the plane is going down? What do you do when the faith is not being clearly taught by the, the pastors and the shepherds of the church? He said, you hold on to what was always believed everywhere by everybody. That is the rule of thumb. What has the church always believed? That is what I must continue to believe. Because uh, you can feel very, very confused. Because here's Archbishop Lefebvre. And let's face it, Archbishop Lefebvre is one bishop out of, you know, 3,500 at the time, who comes along and says to you, no, we must hold to what we always believed. And then there's other bishops coming along and saying, well, actually, no, you know, it's changed now. We used to uh, believe, for example, that the Catholic Church was the one true church, but we now recognize that other churches have indeed great elements of salvation within them and that you can, in fact, save yourself in these other religions. So what, what should I believe? And this is what the theologians of the SSPX uh, said to the theologians of the Vatican during the doctrinal talks, which took place around 2009-2010, it was not uh, the SSPX coming along and saying, hey, uh, Vatican, you need to listen to us. We're right. That's not what we said. What we said was, here is what the church used to teach, always taught. Here is what you're teaching. They're not the same. Who do we believe? And the answer is, that the faith does not change. Uh, you, you probably know the, they're familiar with the term uh, gaslighting. Uh, gaslighting, I believe, refers to a, a play by Patrick Hamilton uh, back in the 1940s or so. Uh, the play revolves around the idea that the husband keeps trying to convince his wife that she is mad 
so that she can be sort of taken off the scene and he can get all of her possessions. And in fact, it's it's the it's the complete opposite, which is the truth. It's she's not mad at all, but he is saying things to deliberately make her mad. And it seems like that often in the church. It's it seems like am I, am I losing my head? Uh, the the uh, the church always used to say that adultery is evil, and now the Pope's coming along in Amoris Laetitia and he's telling me, well, actually there may be circumstances in which it's, you know, not quite. So am I losing my head? No, you're not. Absolutely not. The faith does not change. What was once true is still true. Either it was false then, in which case it it is false now, or else it was true then and it's true now. And this is a very important thing to remind yourself. When you get up in the morning, say to yourself, I'm not mad. God is the most important thing. I was made to know, love, and serve him. God has not suddenly become secondary. So uh, that's, that's the first thing I would say regarding that is, is uh, be guided by what you know to be true. Be guided by the principle of times of crisis, which is hold to what was always believed everywhere by everybody. Even if everybody else seems to be uh, losing their minds, you're not. Now, the second thing I would say there, and this is uh, something which which I want to explain a little bit, Andrew, is judge not lest ye be judged. Okay? This is a very, very popular uh, saying with the modern church. If, uh, If you say, well... You know, I believe that it is wrong to, for example, uh, abandon your wife and find a new wife. I believe that's wrong. Then often you will hear somebody say to you, judge not, lest you be judged, which is a quote from our blessed Lord. Now, what does this actually mean? Because our Lord is clearly not telling us that we must never judge in any circumstance whatsoever. In fact, he told us himself that by their fruits, you shall know them. Uh, if, if we're judging by the fruits, then he told us to judge. No, what the church tells us, what tradition tells us this means, is that we must avoid rash judgment. That is a judgment which we cannot be sure of. Um, so this rash judgment is the opposite of what I would call a, a certain or a necessary judgment. So, for example, if someone comes along uh, to you and says, you know what, uh, Andrew, I have just killed my neighbor. He was really annoying me, and, uh, you know, I just uh, saw red, and so I shot him. And then if you say to yourself, ah, I better not judge, then you're being stupid. You're really (laughs) being stupid. He's just told you that he's murdered his neighbor, and if you don't judge there, if you say, well, actually, maybe it's okay to, to kill your neighbor, then, hey, you can kill your neighbor too. And uh, that's uh, sometimes uh, I remember the words of Chesterton who said the reason why our Lord told us to love our neighbor and to love our enemy is that often it's the same person. Uh, <laughs> however, you're not allowed to, uh, to kill your, your neighbor uh, unjustly. So that's a necessary judgment. However, um, what we cannot judge is when we don't have enough proof or we don't have enough evidence. And what we also cannot judge is the level of someone's guilt. So, for example, um, the the Pope, uh, Pope Francis, says 
that the greatest threat facing humanity is climate change. Now, I can make a double judgment there. The first judgment I can make is that is not true. And that is a necessary judgment because the greatest threat facing humanity is sin. There is no possible doubt about that. Uh, Sin is what separates man from God. Climate change, whether it exists or not, and all of the controversies about it, is not necessarily separating man from God, that's for sure. And so I must make a judgment there. However, I cannot judge the guilt of the Pope and to say, well, he's doing this because he's a Freemason. Well, the fact is, I don't know that he's a Freemason. Uh, he may be a Freemason, that's, that's possible, uh, but I don't know that. And so I should not judge that as if it's certainly true. Or I shouldn't say, well, he is more guilty than anyone who's ever existed. I don't know that either. In fact, if I do judge someone's guilt, um, I'm placing myself in the place of God. That is up to God to do. It's not my business. However, I can and must judge something which uh, is judgeable by me. Sometimes people um, judge harshly those who are, let's say, not in the SSPX. Okay, this is uh, something that could happen. It's I, um, I know so-and-so, and he's a set of accountants. Or I know um, Bob, and Bob frequents the fraternity of St. Peter. And, uh, you know, this is obviously because Bob is a bad man. Or it's because um, Joe, the set of accountant, you know, he just wouldn't listen to me. He's also a bad man. Well, I think we need to remember here is that we are in a crisis in the church. And in a crisis... Uh, There is an objectively right thing to do, I believe. However, that objectively right thing to do is not necessarily obvious to everybody. We tend to often judge of things based on our temperament, based on our inclinations. Uh, Robert Hugh Benson said that the world is divided between the minimizers and the maximizers. Whenever something happens... There's always going to be some people are going to say, well, let's let's stay on the safe side. So let's let's stay with the Novus Ordo. Uh, That's being obedient. And then there are others who are going to say, well, this is more proof of the complete untrustworthiness of all authority and all priests. So I need to become a home alone Catholic. Okay. now, both of those positions are objectively wrong, in my view. But I should not condemn those people to hell because we're in a very tricky situation and everyone who is genuinely trying to keep the faith, God, I believe, will have a very, uh, a very merciful judgment on all of these people because uh, he sees their hearts. And right. there, are, there are so many people, including myself, uh, who passed years in the, in the Novus Ordo with good intentions. And right. there are so many people whom uh, we have met over the past, you know, 18 months or so since the, uh, the COVID uh, crisis arose who are coming to the traditional mass, to the SSPX, because they can't uh, find or they couldn't find uh, sacraments elsewhere. And these people are, are very very good people and they've been in the Novus Ordo they've been in in, in other uh, let's say uh, different positions within the crisis in the church and so what I shouldn't judge is all of these people are sort of bound for hell now when it comes to the objective reality however not all of these positions are equal okay 
So the set of a contest, for example, you know, the set of a contest is judging where he is not able to judge. He's saying, I know for sure that Francis is not the Pope. Well, the answer is you don't know that for sure, because the church has never defined that the Pope who would preach at least materially heresy, and I don't think there's any doubt that the Pope has preached some material heresies, uh, whether they be formal or not, is not something which I am able to judge, which God must judge. I can judge that when he says that good atheists go to heaven, that that's not true. That is, uh, that is against the faith. However, I cannot judge for sure that he is not the Pope. And that's what Archbishop Lefebvre uh, said. He, as you know, thought of this question and said, well, you know, how do this is unbelievable. You have errors being taught by the uh, Pope in Rome. Is he the Pope? And the conclusion the Archbishop came to was, well, I cannot judge myself. I can and must judge that I can't follow him in errors which I know to be errors because I'm using the rule, believe what was always believed everywhere by everyone. But in doubt, I have to assume that he is, in fact, the Pope. You see this also with the Benedictist movement. So the uh, the idea, well, I know for sure that Benedict is still the Pope because he didn't actually resign. Okay, people say that. And I say to them, well, that may be the case, but you don't know that for sure. Because there is no certain evidence that that is the case. And if in doubt, we have to assume that he who actually uh, sits on the seat of Peter is, in fact, the legitimately elected pope. Otherwise, um, you know, I'm never going to ever be able to know anything, really, because there'll always be a possible doubt. Well, you're talking to this Father Sherry character. How do we know that he's actually a priest? Well, you weren't uh, you weren't there when I was ordained, and uh, in any case, it's possible that the bishop who ordained me maybe he kind of held back his intention, etc. And so you could go up with the conspiracy theory that when Bishop Williamson ordained me, that actually, if you look at the way he was holding his hands, that was a secret signal that he wasn't really ordaining this guy. And anybody can come up with a theory like that. I mean, you've you've heard of these uh, sort of. Theories. I remember when I was at school, uh, teaching at school one time, we used to watch, we used to watch sort of popular YouTube videos in philosophy class so that the students could learn how to critique them. And one of them we watched was how you could demonstrate that KFC was actually the Illuminati. And uh, it was quite well done, uh, I must say. And you could be convinced if you wanted to that KFC was actually the Illuminati. But no, do not judge if you're not sure. And on the other side, people who say, well, you know, we have to err on the side of obedience. Okay. And I say to these people, yes and no. To err on the side of obedience means if, that if you're in doubt, you should obey the person who has the authority. Because there's a principle in doubt. If in doubt, you assume that the person who actually holds the office holds the office. If in doubt, you assume that authority is correct. However, if there's no doubt, you're not being disobedient when you tell the authority, sorry, I'm not doing that. So, for example, if my dad says to me, okay, the weather is not good today, so it's not prudent to go to mass, we're not going to mass. And then I think to myself, being a 13-year-old who knows everything, that actually, if you look at the weather, it's not that bad. We should be going to mass. 
my dad is making me commit a mortal sin. Well, actually, at the very least, uh, Johnny, there's doubt on that. And so don't worry. Uh, just assume that your dad knows what he's doing because he probably does. However, if my dad says to me, okay, well, today is Sunday. We're going to be all lazy today. We're going to not bother going to Mass because, hey, let's face it, we don't want to put God first in our lives, do we? And then I, as a child, say, no, that's wrong. I'm going to disobey you, Dad, except I'm not going to disobey you. I'm just going to go to Mass. Okay? And this is the reality is that you're not being disobedient. So when the Pope says to you, well, you know, I'd like you to uh, come along to this new Mass, which was invented by Annibale Bognini, who told us in 1965 that he was doing it to remove from the Mass anything that was a shadow of a stumbling block for our separated brethren, and that he wanted to make the Mass ecumenical and more accessible to the Protestants and effectively undermine your faith, then you can safely say to the Pope, Holy Father, I'm very sorry, but I'm not going to do this. What's more, the traditional Mass has not been done away with, and I'm well within my rights to go to it. And so I'm not being disobedient. And so... Um, what I would say is the SSPX position is the correct position. And then some people might say, well, he would say that, wouldn't he? Well, the reason I'm saying it is it's not the correct position because it's the one I hold, but I hold it because I really believe it's the correct position, which is that let's not jump to conclusions. We hold fast to what was passed on, hold fast to the faith. Don't jump to the conclusion that the Pope is not the Pope because actually you can't uh, know that for sure. But what you do know for sure, which is that the Pope cannot uh, make me lose my faith, he cannot change what God has done, cannot change the commandments, this I hold fast to. And in due course, God will sort out the rest of the problems. I do what I myself must do. And this is the wisdom of Archbishop Lefebvre, who stood up after the council and said, we need to keep tradition. Okay. It wasn't the set of Acantists, it wasn't the fraternity of St. Peter, it wasn't whoever, it was Archbishop Lefebvre. And I sincerely and truly believe that Archbishop Lefebvre had the wisdom both of an archbishop and the wisdom of God specially infused for this crisis, because God does not leave his church an orphan. And he gave, I believe, the Archbishop to us to guide us through this path to be the lifeboat during the crisis. I have nothing to add. Amen? Other than that? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's striking, though, because you see, you see everyone trying to, like you said, Father, everyone's trying to do these mental gymnastics. And I would say 90% of the people who are trying to do these mental gymnastics are people of good faith. They're trying to figure their path out. And I don't mean that in an ecumenical way. I don't mean that in a modern way. I mean that in the true way. They're trying to figure this all out, just like yep. you and I are. Um, and maybe it's taking them on a different path. Maybe it's taking them a little bit longer. I was going to say the worst thing we can do if someone new comes to one of our churches, and I'm being a little preachy here, Father, is say, well, what took you so long? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh you know, and, and chide them and say, you know, but didn't you believe that? Welcome. Thank you. Come on in. That's it. That's all you need to say. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. It's uh, it's really not up to us to say, you know, why is everybody not as intelligent as me? It's it's not. That's not the way it works. It's uh, 
tradition being a traditional Catholic is a grace from God. And the reason I am a traditional Catholic is because God is merciful. And I need to pray for that grace for everyone else, but not to look down on those who perhaps have not yet received that grace. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's the third point, Father. Uh, be guided by what you know to be true and don't jump to conclusions. Um, what's, the, what's the next thing, Father, for us to look at to do as, as Catholics in this well, crisis? Well, the final sort of area I would cover, Andrew, is how do I um, keep my balance uh, by living a Catholic life even though a lot of the structures of the Catholic life, like the Catholic parish and the Catholic school, seem to have disappeared. And the answer to that is, again, following the advice of Archbishop Lefebvre, he uh, wrote, as your listeners are probably aware, uh, a book called The uh, Open Letter to Confused Catholics, uh, which, is, uh, which is here. And in it, he gives some, some practical advice towards the end of the book, which is, well, we should go to real traditional parishes. Back in the old days, perhaps your parish was a couple of blocks away and you, uh, you just walked out to mass and you had uh, all of the great uh, benefits of a Catholic parish. Today, maybe your Catholic parish is a couple of hours away, but it doesn't matter because the Catholic parish being that place where the traditional mass is offered, where the faith is preached and taught, this is the pearl of great price, truly. It's something worth selling everything for. And the same, I would say, with the Catholic school. Uh, the Catholic school, if we can have a true Catholic school, now, because all Catholic schools or all schools that are called Catholic aren't really Catholic. And I think uh, many of us have, have perhaps come through a long process of realizing that the Catholic school where we were sending our children was not, in fact, Catholic. And so I'm talking about a real Catholic school that not only preaches the faith, but has an integral Catholic approach and where the teachers themselves uh, have this integral Catholic life is, again, the pearl of great price. Uh, there was a woman who went to the Holy Curie of ours one time, and uh, she said, uh, Father, um, I have no more money left to send my son to a Catholic school. And the saint curie of ours said to her, well, have you got your house? And uh, she replied, yes, Father. And he said, sell it. It's, it's worth it. Catholic education is worth more than a house. Now, that advice needs to be taken with a with a grain of salt which means that we we shouldn't again rush into extreme decisions but the principle is true it's there's nothing to be compared to the catholic life to the catholic school to the catholic family so the first thing i would say is if and i'm just taking the example let's say of a family now this needs to be applied to a single person perhaps to a, a widowed person whatever it might be but i'm taking a family as an example because that's as, as we know, that's really the case of a lot of the people who come to the traditional mass, is first one, find a Catholic parish. And when I say find a Catholic parish, I mean find one that's built on solid ground, not one that's based on, you know, uh, well, you know, we're going to be as Catholic as the bishop allows us to be. 
because unfortunately, in most cases, the bishop is probably not going to allow you to be completely Catholic. He's going to uh, rather put uh, sticks in the spokes of your wheels to kind of uh, stop you being Catholic. Or I'm going to find uh, um, I'm going to find a Catholic parish where there's no compromise on anything. Now, they, if you're if you're if you're a woman and you're wearing pants, you're not allowed in there. Or if you're a guy and you're not wearing a shirt, tie, and suit, he's not going to allow you in. Okay, that's not the ideal parish either. Not because uh, women should wear pants to church or men should wear baseball caps to church. That's not a good idea. But because in reality. Uh, a lot of people coming into our churches are are not are, are are ignorant, and I don't mean this in a pejorative sense at all. But I remember a woman right. um, when I was uh, serving a church in Cork in Ireland. I remember a woman who was quite new to our church, a very I would say devout Novus Ordo Catholic for many years, and she said to me, "Father, I have never heard a word said about modesty in my life." And one of the priests. Uh, wasn't me, I don't believe that time, but one of the priests had, had preached a sermon on, on the virtue of modesty, which which is a, a, a good theme to preach on once in a while. She'd never heard it before. And so, you know, if uh, someone comes to the church and they're not best dressed, don't turn them away. It's, it's uh, I mean... There's a limit on that, obviously. If someone if someone is grossly immodest, obviously, then you would, um, simply because that's that's not uh, that's really not excusable in any way. But someone is perhaps a little uh, a little underdressed, you know, they will be educated. They will find uh, the truth by being allowed into the church. So find a Catholic parish and one that's built on solid ground of the faith. Of the uh, of the true sacraments, and one that's not based around political sort of uh, political sort of uh, calculations. Now, is that an SSPX parish? I would say that all SSPX parishes are that church, but not exclusively. In the sense that there are uh, good priests who are not in the SSPX who are, let's say, fellow travelers with the SSPX or, you know, have these same principles. It's not that outside of the SSPX there is no salvation. That's not true. It's outside of the church there is no salvation. And it so happens that the SSPX is a congregation in the church that is holding the faith and teaching it integrally. But there are other priests out there who are doing that. Now, the second thing I would say is your Catholic family. Catholic family is, uh, I would say it's the key, because if your family is Catholic, and I say integrally Catholic, then you can make your way through the storm. There's no doubt about that. And being an integrally Catholic family means that Christ is at the center of the family, not just in theory, but in practice. And so what I would say the first thing is, and I hope I'm not gonna shock anybody by this, but I'm gonna say, get rid of the internet. Uh, now, hold on a second. You're listening to, to me on the internet. How can he say get rid of the internet? I mean, <laughs> get rid of the internet except where you actually need it. Because the internet is just the bane of Catholic families. It's something which takes dad and mom away from their time with the children, which distracts them from their work of education. It's something which 
distracts the children from what their work of education is and brings all sorts of uh, bad and less than good influences into the family. There are some good things you can use the internet for, absolutely, but by and large, get rid of it. Do not, under any circumstance, give your children a smartphone. It's the worst thing that you could do. If you give the child a smartphone, you're handing them a loaded gun, in my opinion. And a child is not able to handle a loaded gun. And so, with those caveats, I would say, which is in general, get rid of um, what is an occasion of sin and get rid of what is not educationally good, or rather, use these things in strict moderation. Obviously, it's fine for a Catholic family to watch a good movie from time to time, but it's terrible for the children within a Catholic family to be spending hours on screens every day or even hours on screens every week. So get rid of those things. And then in the center of your Catholic family, read, read, read spiritual reading together. If if the, uh, the family gets together, you know, every night for 10 minutes and we read the life of a saint, you know, from Butler's Lives of the Saints or some other book, fantastic that the older children perhaps are taught to read by themselves so that they can actually uh, read these good books. Now, it's not only the lives of the saints and the gospels, although that should be first. It is also all the other good works of literature which will help children to grow. And then, and this is, this is not, this in a way, of course, is the most important thing, but I think it's good to understand that it's not the first thing in a sense, And that's family prayer. What do I mean when I say it's not the first thing? It's that if you have family prayer for the rosary and then all of the kids go off on their tablets and smartphones, you're next to wasting your time. You're next to wasting your time. So that's why I put those other things first. Not because they're more important in themselves, but because they're sort of like a a condition for the prayer to work. Uh, Imagine that you're... uh, you're uh, coming home after the ceremony on Good Friday and uh, you open your fridge and you start looking at the steak in your fridge and you think to yourself, wow, I'd really love to have a steak. And then you think to yourself, wow, this is turning into an occasion of sin. I'd better say the rosary. No, do not say the rosary. Shut the fridge. Shut the fridge and walk away and then you can say the rosary. But saying the rosary while you look at the steak is really a waste of time. And so... I the Disney Plus and the Netflix, oh, get rid of them. Just get rid of them. There are good movies out there that you can watch as a family. You can find them. You can find them somewhere. You do not need to expose your children to what is a soul and mind-destroying propaganda. So get rid of it. And prayer, Catholic customs. There are so many great Catholic feasts throughout the year, and there are so many customs that you can uh, do. Children need to have fun. Their imagination needs to be fired. Uh, their, they, the, let's say the, the sort of mass media, etc., try to fire the imagination of children with, with bad things or things which are good only in order to lead them to bad things. And I'm, I'm generalizing, but it's getting to that stage now where it's almost all that they do. We have great Catholic customs. All Saints Day, you know, we dress up, we dress up as saints. We... Uh, we have a, a, a competition whereby the, uh, each, each person has to be the, the best uh, dressed saint. Uh, I've seen saints dressed on, on All Saints Day with, the, uh, with their heads beheaded 
and uh, in in a plate. I've seen uh, Saint Lucy with her eyeballs on a on a platter. Children love that sort of stuff, and once it's good, then it's it's great. Uh, the uh, the great Catholic customs associated with uh, with Christmas are coming up, uh, with Advent in preparation for Christmas. But uh, Christmas is a time where we celebrated it for 12 days. And on the 12th day, the 12th night, there was the great uh, feast of the three kings and the 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 uh, the people would dress up as kings. They would go through the the whole pantomime of coming to our savior, and this is wonderful stuff. This is this is what will inspire children and make them to be Catholic. So the Catholic family is is like a sanctuary, and uh, I think it's very important in that sanctuary, Andrew, to maybe keep away from your children all of the controversies that they're not yet ready for. Now. When I say that, there comes a time, and I think it comes sort of in the mid to later teenage years, so maybe from 14 or 15 on, when you need to talk about these things. There is a time before then where you need to perhaps explain some things simply, but not to really get into controversy. When the time comes, maybe 14, 15, you need to talk about all of these things and talk about them often. Uh, Sometimes parents think, oh, well, I can relate to my children if I talk about things that they're interested in. And so I just talk to them about sport or I just, that's a very bad idea. You talk to your children about things that really matter, religion, uh, politics, uh, and uh, life. That's what really matters. And so there comes that time. But before then, do not burden your children with all of the things that perhaps they do not need to know about. Do not share with them your financial difficulties. Neither share with them the fact that the world's going to hell in a handbasket and we're we're not going to be saved unless God works a miracle. Uh, God has worked a miracle, and the miracle is Catholic tradition. And uh, if I could just make a plug at this stage, Andrew, for a magazine called Catholic Home, which is in its just its third issue is coming out before Christmas. And it's a magazine which steers clear of controversy, but tries to feed the Catholic home by means of useful articles, stories, poetry, etc. Um, it's it's something which is entirely uh, in paper, uh, but you can order it online at the Catholic Home website. It's something that I've been collaborating with a number of people on, and I think it's it's a wonderful magazine. So uh, if I could just put that out there, it's not the only thing, Absolutely. but uh, it's certainly... Uh, the idea is a good one, which is we need to feed our faith. You don't feed your faith by just reading controversial works. You feed your faith by returning to the sources, to the Catechism of the Council of Trent. The Archbishop said, read the Catechism of the Council of Trent as a family. Study the faith as a family. Uh, do the spiritual reading as a family and have fun as a family, as a Catholic family. The devil has this lie, which is, oh, if you're going to be a Catholic, you're going to be miserable. It's the complete opposite, which is the truth. If you want to be miserable, go and live a life of sin. If you want to be happy, live a really Catholic life. And then um, I would just finish off by saying Catholic schools. Uh, As I mentioned, Catholic school, a truly Catholic school, is a pearl of great price because it, it works with the family as an extension of the family to cement all that the Catholic family does. That doesn't mean to say that every Catholic school is good. There may be a Catholic school, let's say, that's run by a terrible set of teachers. You know, that could well happen. You don't, you don't say, well, that's a Catholic school, so that's fine. 
you know, you obviously use your prudence. Teach, uh, parents remain responsible for the education of the children. But if you can set up, if you can uh, work with other parents to set up a Catholic school, you're doing a work of great importance for the restoration of the Catholic life and for the future generations of Catholics. And um, so there are many other things I'm sure that could be added there, Andrew, but those are just a number of things that came to mind as practical advice to people trying to navigate sure. the crisis. Can I ask a follow-up question, Father? Uh, and it's regarding this last set of items that you talked about. Obviously, a Catholic family can be a Catholic family anywhere, um, but to be part of a parish or a school in these days, like you said at the very beginning of this section, it may be a two-hour drive or something would you recommend to a family that's living, I don't, I don't know, uh, I'm not even going to pick a place, but would you recommend to a family that doesn't live near an SSPX Priory, would you tell them you should move? Um, I would recommend that, Andrew. However, I would say if, if you're new to tradition, don't rush into anything because, um, okay. you know, you need to try to follow providence. So if you're new to tradition... Um, let's say, you know, I started attending the traditional mass six months ago, and I'm, I'm really getting a good understanding of what's going on. Um, I'm going to move. No, it's too early. It's too early. Um, you need to uh, do the, the basics, I would say, of removing from, from your, your life, you know, whatever is offensive to God. And uh, you need to start thinking about educational uh, solutions for your children. If your children are at public school or at a sort of a mainstream Catholic school, I would say, you know, come September 2022, they need to be out of there because it's, it's really not mm -hmm. good these days. Now, uh, I'm, again, I'm generalizing because there may be exceptions to that. Sure. But as regards moving, I would say, yeah, when, the when you, uh, Providence shows you, move to a Catholic community because support is humanly necessary um, to, uh, to, to kind of keep your sanity in the crisis. Some people said, okay, well, we need to move to a Catholic compound. Okay, well, that's, that's not really true now. The Catholic compound idea is if you're all sort of living uh, cheek by jowl with each other, maybe a bit claustrophobic. But if you're living, you know, within a sh relatively short distance from a Catholic parish and you've got in undoubtedly then other families around you where you can make links, etc., then that is a very good thing. However, it brings with it responsibility because if you're, if you're living among pagans, in a way, just being, you know, average Catholic makes you look really good. But if you're living among Catholics, then we have a duty to emulate and to, to go further and to really uh, uh, not, um, not drag each other down. You know, if, if, um, if, I'm, if I'm among pagans and pagans, let's say, are engaging in impure talk, let's just imagine at work, impure talk. Well, that's bad, but they're pagans and so they really don't know any better. But if I'm working with a group of Catholic guys and one of us starts engaging in impure talk, that's much worse because I'm not just engaging in impure talk, I'm also saying, hey, we know this is a mortal sin, but let's do it anyway. So that's why being in a Catholic community uh, is, is a great grace, but brings with a great responsibility, and it's a great help towards sanctity, but we have to live up to it. Fair enough. Yeah, like you said at the beginning about the gaslighting, uh, if you're not living in a Catholic community, if you're being, if you're surrounded at work, at you know, 
social life by people who don't have these same set of ideals, truths, uh, it's it's going to wear on you. Um, I know that from experience. It, it feels like, oh, I, I must be mm-hmm. the crazy one. Um, but if you're in a Catholic community, you don't feel that way because you're all of the like mind and it helps. Very us. true. Very true. And as with anything, Andrew, you know, whatever circumstances you're in, there are always excesses you can go to. So the dangers of the Catholic sure. community, of course, are, you know, gossip, etc. And these are, you know, this is inevitable. Whatever, whatever state of life we're in, we're always going to find ways to mess it up and simply be on the lookout for those <laughs> things and have some community rules, right. as it were. I mean, there may be informal rules, but community rules, for example, would be that, you know, if, if the... The children of my uh, friends are over visiting our children. You know, we're not going to sort of show them a movie unless we let the parents know, for example. So that way that there's no kind of, you know, the communication, uh, all of these things, which are which are common right. sense. But I think you're, you're right. It's it's a great help for us to keep our balance and keep our sanity. Absolutely. Well, Father, this has been an excellent uh, conversation about just practical advice. Um, so we appreciate it so much. Um, and again, we'll put the link to the place where you can uh, order that magazine. It would make a great Christmas It would, gift. and it'll be shipped in time for Christmas, or so the editor tells me. There we go. All right, fair enough. Father Sherry, thank you so much for your time. Uh, have a blessed day. Thank Advent. you very thank much, you. Andrew. God bless. Thank you for listening to and watching episode 49 of our Crisis in the Church series here on the SSPX podcast. Next week, on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, the day each year, that priests of the Society of St. Pius X renew their vows and rededicate their lives to the preservation of tradition, we will have our final episode of this series, and we'll be privileged to have Father Davide Pagliarani join us to discuss the solution. How does the crisis in the Church get resolved? Please consider subscribing to the podcast and to the SSPX News English YouTube channel so that you won't miss this or any of our future episodes. And if you have the ability to set up a monthly recurring donation of 5 or 10 or $20, on sspxpodcast.com. It would help us immensely as we embark on several new series that we will be starting in 2022. Until next week, thank you for listening and God bless you.